0: Good morning, if you have a Bible, I invite you to uh, open it or a Bible app to the book of John in the New Testament, the fourth book, Gospel of John. If you're using one of the Bibles from the rack there uh, near you, it's page 890. Last week, we started a new series It's entitled, Heavenly-Minded, Looking at Things Unseen, and we're considering what God's Word teaches about eternity, and if we belong to Jesus by faith, uh, where we are ultimately going. And the reason we're doing this is because God wants the truth about our ultimate future to have a very positive influence in how we live today. Uh, one of the things I hope to do with this series is sort of challenge a popular notion that if you're heavenly minded, it means you'll be kind of disconnected from real life. You'll, you'll be uh, un- unconcerned, uninvolved in important issues. I actually believe the reverse is true That being genuinely heavenly minded increases our concern and involvement in the issues of life around us. Uh, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis I'd like you to consider. C.S. Lewis, um, pretty famous, brilliant uh, professor at Cambridge and Oxford, who started his adult life out as an atheist and became convinced in the message of Christ, uh, the truth. because of just examining the facts, Um, and he said this, this is on this issue of heavenly mindedness and how it impacts our lives. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next, The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. which raises the question, well why have Christians uh, ceased largely thinking of the other world? Well one of the reasons I think could be that when we do think about the world to come, we often think things that are actually not true and frankly rather unappealing. Uh, Gary Larson, the creator of the Farside cartoon, He he captures one of these false ideas about eternity in one of his cartoons. So, here's this guy. He's obviously passed on, and he's there in eternity. And, you know, he's got his angel wings and his robe and a halo over his head. He's sitting on a small cloud with absolutely nothing to do. He, He doesn't even have a heart. He looks like somebody marooned on a desert island all by himself. And as he sits there completely alone with nothing to do, he thinks, I sure wish I'd brought a magazine. Now, if that's even remotely like what we think is in store for us, that eternity is going to be way less interesting, way less exciting, way less fulfilling than life in this time, this uh, age. Well, it's no wonder we're not really thinking about it and looking forward to it. But it's not true. It's not even close. There are so many things about this cartoon that are just utterly false, What God says, actually, that he has in store for those who belong to Jesus is something to look forward to every day of our lives. Not because we have to, but because we want to, because it's going to be so good. Like the way you look forward to a really great vacation you've got planned only far more. So that's the aim of this series, to look at what God has said about our future so we can look forward to it in a way that makes a difference in how we live today. Last time I finished with a statement from Randy Alcorn's big book entitled Heaven, which I highly recommend, and here it is. He says, our eternal destination Is a resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. Now, today I want to begin to unpack this statement, and I want to begin by talking about your resurrection yours that is how I would like you to hear this that it's about you and it's about what's going to happen to you Uh, as we look at some things Jesus said about resurrection I don't want you to just think about it as oh that's interesting or something that's going to happen to other people I want you to really think about it as something that's really going to happen to you. Because unless Jesus returns first, which would be awesome, but unless he ha- that happens, you are going to die. So am I. You might not think about it a lot, um, But it's one of the few things in life that is absolutely certain. You are going to die. And then, one day, Jesus is going to raise your body from the dead. And the reason I say so is not because I figured it out, or it's my opinion, it's because Jesus said so. So... Let's look at what he said and what it means for you and for me. So in John chapter 5, Jesus is responding to some religious leaders who are mad at him. And they're mad at him because he healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. And even more so, they're mad at him because... He talks in such a way that he makes himself equal with God. So Jesus begins to explain why he can act that way and why he can talk that way because he does things that God does. He heals the sick, he raises the dead, he judges human beings. You know, people will occasionally say, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. And the reason they say that is because they can't find a quote in the New Testament where Jesus said those exact three words, I am God. But there are other ways to say it, and Jesus said it in many other ways. This is one of those ways. So let's take a look, begin at verse 21. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For as the Father, he means God the Father, raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That's amazing. God's intention is that we give the Son the same honor we give the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Jesus raised several people from the dead. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Before we get into the details, I think it's worth pausing for a moment to just notice how important these words are. How significant they are. Jesus is not talking about trivial things. He seldom did. He's talking about death. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about how you spend eternity. He's talking about judgment between good and evil. These aren't interesting words, these are vital words. When we say something is interesting, we usually mean, you know, we're kind of curious about it, but it doesn't necessarily affect us personally. Kind of like if you were reading an article about cancer statistics, and you said, well, that's interesting. But when you're the one waiting for the biopsy results, that information is way more than interesting. It's vital, because it's about you. And your life. That's what Jesus' words here are. They're vital. Because they're about you. They're talking about your life and your eternity. What does Jesus say here about you? Well, he's telling you what you need to know about your Resurrection. Notice both verse 24 and 25 begin with the words, truly, truly, or some translations, I tell you the truth, or I assure you, or something. It's an expression that means, listen carefully, for I am going to tell you something very important. You need to know this So you can respond to this. So what do you need to know? First, you need to know that you will be resurrected. You will be resurrected. Verse 25, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 28, all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. (laughs) Jesus said that he will raise every dead person back to life. That's why I say he's talking about your resurrection. Because you're part of everyone. This includes every person who's ever lived and died. I mean, just try to wrap your mind around that for a second. He's talking about every dead human being, every political leader, every religious figure, every entertainer, every one of your relatives, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, every single person in this room, every single person in every single nation. Everybody. Will be raised by Jesus to stand before Him. Just think about the power and authority Jesus is claiming to have. You know, if if you've been coming to church for a while, or you're used to reading the Bible and you read Jesus say things like this, and you just kind of go, "Oh yeah," I this is astounding. It is astounding. All who are in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God. He's talking about himself, and they will come out. That is amazing. When Jesus gives a command, everything obeys, including dead bodies. And he proves this in chapter 11, just a few chapters later, when he goes to the, friend, uh, to the grave of his friend Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does... So, when the moment comes, when Jesus commands your dead body to rise, it will. It absolutely will. It doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter what condition it's in. It doesn't matter how you died. It doesn't matter how long you've been dead. It doesn't matter whether your body has been buried or burned or vaporized in a nuclear explosion or used... Your imagination, it doesn't matter. When Jesus gives the word, your body will rise. Which means that you will experience eternity physically. Physically. With eyes, no, eyes, ears, hands, feet, skin, bones. Resurrection refers to physical bodies. Anyone who thinks eternity is going to be just a purely spiritual experience is not basing their understanding on the Bible, but on Greek philosophy. It is the Greeks who taught that matter matter, is inherently inferior to spirit. And our bodies are just like a prison in which our spirits are trapped. Well, it's true that our bodies have all kinds of problems because we live in a world that's fallen, because we live in a world that is justly cursed because of our sin. But it's not because there's something inherently wrong with physical things. When God spoke this world into existence with all of its physical stuff, he looked at it and said, that's really good. So resurrection is not God getting rid of bodies. Resurrection is God transforming bodies into something glorious. I can't wait. Philippians 3.20, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. Paul's writing to fellow believers in Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await, notice that, We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, that's quite a claim, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Glorious body. Definitely a body. Definitely a body. So our experience of eternity is going to be a physical experience as well as spiritual, emotional, intellectual. See, we will finally be everything humanity was meant to be completely. You will be resurrected. The second thing you need to know is that you will experience either eternal life or eternal judgment. Jesus says, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Two destinations. Only two. One of them is unspeakably wonderful. The other is unspeakably awful. Now, this is not a popular thing to talk about, to speak of judgment, to believe in hell. I confess, I feel a natural reluctance to talk about it. But my commitment, our church's commitment to you, is to always teach you what the Bible teaches, what the Word of God teaches regardless of what our culture thinks, regardless of what anybody's personal preference is. The only reason I feel a natural reluctance to talk about it is because I'm not nearly as loving and courageous as Jesus. Jesus said way more about hell than anybody else. And he describes it in horrible terms. He uses words like unquenchable fire, outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus. Merciful, kind, gracious Jesus. The One, lest we forget, the One who loves you more than anybody else loves you. The One who loves you enough to have gone to the cross and die so that this reality he's picturing would not happen to you. He used this graphic and terrifying language, not because you know he got a kick out of scaring people, but to warn you, to warn me, wake up to reality. He died to rescue us from this. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.10. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, he means whether we're alive or dead, we may live together, notice these two words, with Him. With Him. Instead of away from Him. To be with Jesus is life. To be without Jesus is hell. Look carefully at 2 Thessalonians 1.7. These are terrible words. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God. And if you read the whole letter, not knowing God here is not the not knowing God of, of just simple ignorance, I didn't know. It's the not-knowing God of refusing to know. Who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. This explains why hell is so terrible. People who don't want God in their life finally get their wish, eternally. They are shut out from the presence of the Lord. That means being shut out from the presence of every good thing. Shut out from love. Shut out from relationships. Shut out from kindness. Shut out from laughter. Shut out from music. Shut out from beauty. Shut out from everything good. As opposed to being with Jesus, being with Him, and in the presence of everything good. Love, laughter, relationships, music, beauty. You know, Jesus once told a story about a man in hell, and he pictured him as all alone, separated by a great gulf from anyone the, the irony of Gary Larson's cartoon is that's the closest illustration I've seen of somebody in hell. Utterly, you won't want to do this, but just try to imagine spending eternity by yourself. Randy Alcorn says, misery loves company, it's said, but there will be nothing to love in hell. We need to feel the seriousness of this. Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. All roads do not lead to eternal life. That is a popular idea. It is contrary to what Jesus himself said. Jesus Answered, this is John 14.6, I am the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, his words, not mine, no one comes to the Father except through me. John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, ultimately that means gave him to the cross, that whoever believes in Him, believes in Him, trusts in Him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news. Jesus took hell on Himself that we would not experience it. Third thing you need to know And it's there in John 3.16, but we will see it here in John 5. Your experience of life or judgment hinges on your response to Jesus. Your experience of life or judgment hinges on your response to Jesus. So, Jesus says here that those who have done good will experience the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil will experience the resurrection of judgment. Now, what does he mean? We need to think carefully here because if we ignore what the rest of the passage says and the rest of the book and really the rest of the Bible, we will potentially misunderstand this and think that what Jesus is saying is that we can avoid eternal judgment and we can achieve eternal life by doing good things. And not doing bad things. As if eternal life is something you earn if you live a good enough life. Now it's easy to assume that because that is a very natural way of thinking. Our natural way of thinking is all about earning, that is not what he's saying. And you can see it if you look at the context carefully. So look back at verse 24. He says, this is just a few verses earlier. It's part of the same dialogue. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See it? Having eternal life, escaping judgment, passing from death to life, Is a matter of hearing Jesus' word and believing Him who sent Him. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to hear Jesus and believe Him who sent Him? Well, notice what he says in the second half of verse 23, this previous verse. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So the one who sent Him is God the Father. Okay, question. How do you hear Jesus in a way that shows you believe the Father who sent him, who wants you to honor him. Well, why did the Father send him? John 3.17 God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his Son into the world to save the world through him whoever believes in Him, Whoever trusts in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands or remains condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So to believe in him is to trust him as God's one and only Son sent by God to save us from the condemnation we deserve because of our sin. That's what the cross is all about. And it's all through this book. So, take time to read it. Read the whole thing. You'll see I'm not making this up. Okay? And then read Matthew, or Mark, or Luke. They say the same thing. Read the book of Romans. Read the book of Galatians. Read... The rest of the New Testament. So when we get to verse 29, and Jesus talks about doing good, He's not talking about earning eternal life with our good deeds. That's not what He's saying. That's not the context. He's talking about believing in Him as God's only solution for sin, and because we believe in Him, We do the good things He wants us to do. Doing good is not how you get eternal life. It's the evidence that you have it. If you want to do good as God defines it, if you want to experience the resurrection of life, then you need to respond to Jesus as the one sent by God to give you eternal life and then demonstrate you have it by doing good deeds you say well that's really clever but is that really what he meant that if those who do good resurrection of life those who do evil resurrection of judgment are you just being clever No, that really is what he means because he says the same thing again and again and again. As I said, that's what the whole book is about. Look at John 15, 5. This is Jesus saying the same thing. In other words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever's connected to me, and I in him, he it is or she it is that bears much fruit for, look at these words, apart from me you can do Nothing. Nothing that meets God's standard anyway. So apart from Him, apart from the vine, we can't do good works. Not as God defines good. So you don't become part of the vine by bearing fruit. You know, you're just this branch over here. And oh look, I created some fruit. Now I can be a part of the vine. It's not how it works. You first get connected to the vine, and then you bear fruit. That's where the life is. Fruit is evidence you're connected to the vine. So, that is what he's saying. So, Jesus will judge your works. He will judge whether your works are good or evil, but he's not looking for how you met This standard, he's going to be looking for evidence that you listened to his voice, you trusted him as the one sent by the Father to save you, and you demonstrated that by how you lived. You bear fruit because you're connected to the vine. So that's what he says is true about your resurrection. You will be resurrected. He will raise you. You will either be raised to eternal life or eternal judgment. And which of those two destinations depends on how you respond to Jesus? Two destinations, only two. And you will experience one or the other. It all comes down to this. How do you respond to Jesus will you say yes have you said yes do you want to say yes it may be that today as you're listening to what Jesus said it may be that for you the Holy Spirit has just turned the lights on and and it's like wow I get it I hear what he's saying then you could respond to him in faith even now. Or you could say, I need to hear more about this. I need to talk about this with somebody. You could talk to whoever you came with. I'd love to talk to you. You got one of those connect cards somewhere nearby? You could put your contact information, say, I'd like to talk more about it, and follow up with that. Because this really matters. If you need more information, if you need to talk, if you've got questions that need answers, and it's not just a smokescreen because you don't really want to believe, then by all means, take a step, ask those questions. But if today, if it's like God's turned a light on, and you want what Jesus is talking about, and you want eternal life, and you don't want eternal judgment and you realize that if it was up to you that's what you'd get because we're all in that place apart from the grace of God then in just a moment I'm going to be quiet and you can pray and you can say to Jesus something along the lines the exact words don't matter but something just crying out to him and say Lord Jesus I, I, I think I get it I'm hearing what you're saying that You are the one and the only one. You are going to raise me and you're going to decide whether I get life or judgment and I want life. Would you give that to me? Would you cleanse me of my sin? I believe that's what you went to the cross for at least as best I can understand it. Right now, I'm just asking you to do that for me. Again, the exact words don't matter. He knows your heart. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to give you a moment. You don't have to pray out loud. Just talk to them. It might be the first prayer you've ever really prayed beyond "Now I lay me down to sleep," from a million years ago. Um. I, I don't. I. I don't want to make light of this. I don't want to make it trivial. This is a big deal. So if you would like to, you can pray right now, or if you want more information, again, put that in. You know, just write. I want more information. I want to talk to somebody, and uh, we'll follow up with that. So I'm going to be quiet. You can have a quiet moment to pray, and then I will pray. Okay, let's let's bow right now, and let's go to the one who, he himself, bore our sin in his body on the tree, and then was raised to live forever as our Savior and Lord. Let's let's talk to him right now. If you want to, just do that, Lord Jesus. These are amazing words. They're astonishing words. In some ways, the gift of eternal life with you is too good to be true, and the alternative is, is too horrible to imagine. We, we don't even want to believe that. But Lord, you have spoken, and you always tell the truth. And so we ask that you would cause your truth to sink deeply into our hearts, that this truth about this future event will truly impact us and make a difference in how we live today. And I would pray for anyone who needs more information, Lord, that you would answer their questions. You would give them the information they need. And anyone who wants your gift of life will today or very soon receive it, Lord. And will you help those of us who know this good news be earnestly concern to share it with others. Make us truly heavenly minded that we might live as you would want us to. We pray in your holy name. Amen.